Welcome to the Swim in Beauty podcast, where we take the deep dive into all things wellness, beauty, and lifestyle. Coming to you live from Sedona, Arizona, with me, your host, Summer Sanders. Hi, friends. Summer Sanders here. This is the second episode of the Swim and Beauty podcast. And after I recorded the first episode, I had a lot of emails come in. And people seem to be very interested for me to dive deeper into the eating disorder aspect. I shared just a little snippet. And I've shared in my books. I've shared on other podcasts that I've been a guest on. But this is a great opportunity to share more deeply and go a little further into my story and the beginning of it, the middle of it, the healing, and the now. So um, the other thing is this podcast, people had questions, swim in beauty, and how does an eating disorder relate to beauty. And I just want to clear up, I guess, what I mean by beauty is not skin deep. So swim and beauty is taking the deep dive into beauty and what it really means. And to me, beauty is something that comes from the inside and radiates out. So when we're talking about things that are vulnerable, talking about things that are painful, talking about illnesses, talking about our feelings, our shame, our all the things that make us into these human beings. Um, I think that's beautiful. And to me, that's what that's, this stands for. And I will also be talking about beauty products and things that we can do to de- decorate our, our vessels. Um, but truly and most importantly to me, beauty is what makes us whole, what makes us human and our stories. So without further ado, jumping into something that I feel has created a lot of beauty in my life is my eating disorder or disordered eating, however you want to call it. Um, when I was 12, as I shared on the last episode, I was in Europe and I began to be overly concerned with my weight. We were eating bread and lots of ice cream, and I just have this very vivid moment of looking in the mirror in Switzerland, thinking I looked fat, and starting to do excessive amounts of crunches. And my mom was there, too, I remember, so she can be a witness to this. But an eating disorder doesn't start just like that. Like many things, it's a cumulative issues or unintegrated traumas that create that that then manifest into physical form in my opinion and I'm not a doctor I'm not um, a specialist I'm just a person who's gone through something who wants to share what's worked and what hasn't (laughs) um so a little bit on my history I'll share um, the beginning, my beginnings, and some things that created shame, some things that were traumatic, and some things that I held on to as a child and as a young adult that maybe were protecting me then, but weren't serving me as I came into my adulthood. 
So I was born in 1986 on a self-sustainable farm in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. My mother, Charity, who is a beautiful human, and my godfather, Tim, another beautiful human, who are both with me, thankfully still here today, both in Sedona. And they they had an amazing self-built, self-made farm that they lived on. And my biological father wasn't in the picture. Once my mom became pregnant, he got off his medication. He's schizo- he was schizophrenic. And there were a lot of things that happened that scared her. And she decided to end the relationship. And I only met him once when I was around two years old. And I'm digging into this because through the work that I've done to get to a point in my life for my eating disorder, um, I had to go back first. And so I went back to the father figures. And just to fast forward and make this story a little shorter, because it's very complex, as most stories are, my father, my biological father, Richard, committed suicide when I was around eight years old. But I didn't know this because I lived in Sedona, and my mom had moved us there, and she was fearful, fearful that you know, because he was schizophrenic and off his medication, that he would try to do something that would harm me. She was fearful that his family didn't approve of her and would try to take me. Um, Things that I think some moms can relate to. It wasn't until I was 12 years old that I found out that my biological father had died. I called the last number that I found in my mom's little handwritten address book. And I talked to a woman and she said, Oh no, he, he's been dead for years. Sorry to tell you. And in that moment of finding out that dream that I had been wanting since I was a small girl to meet my biological father, um, was never going to happen. Um, I had like a, a breakdown and my mom was there fortunately to pick up some of the pieces, but it broke a big part of me and there was, I guess, a hole that I didn't know how to fill. And right along with that, so there's again complicated stories. I hope everyone's following along. Okay. My mom remarried when I was three years old and to a man named Marcin from Poland. And I absolutely adored him. He was everything to me. And I I think I really just craved that strong male in my life. So that relationship didn't make it. It made it from three to seven. And one day my mom took me out and we went on a drive. And she told me when I was around around the time I was seven. And so we're backtracking. She told me that um, my stepfather, Marchin, was not going to ever come back. So he left and he never came back. So that was another big shock. And so I spent a lot of time, I think, as a child thinking that he left me and not understanding that he left my mom. And then as I got older and found out that my biological father had died, that, you know, why didn't he stay alive for me? Why didn't he think of me? Wasn't I considered there? And then again, um, my godfather was an alcoholic 
in and out now out and sober for over four years. But uh, I always felt whenever he would go back to drinking, why couldn't he get sober up for me? Wasn't I enough? So there's some big themes there that I've worked with for a long time of not being enough. Why weren't they able to care enough about me? Wasn't my love enough for them? And so there was a perfectionism that followed me around, wanting to perfect myself, feeling unlovable, feeling that I wasn't enough just as I was. And that has been a huge theme for me in my work around my eating disorder and my perfectionism addiction. So another part that plays into my own history is pop culture. And I think about this so often now as a mother to a daughter. I thought about it a lot with my son, but even more so now with a daughter, which is, I just remember as a very young girl um, being bombarded just at the grocery store even with these magazines and these images of women and then coming into my teen years and seeing, you know, Cosmopolitan 40 ways to make him whatever and all these ideas of, you know, what you were supposed to do. And it really affected me. And the, you know, the, I guess, beauty standards of MTV or all these magazines and everything. So I actually, when I started healing from my eating disorder around 23, I went on a media cleanse. So and still now, I do not watch movies. I I just can't. Uh, not because of, you know, comparisons anymore so much as I just don't like outside energies coming into my being. And that's what I find happens when I'm watching a movie. I get, especially at night, because I read recently that we are so much more susceptible at nighttime to outside influences because our guards are down a little bit more. I was reading, I think, Superhuman by Joe Dispenza. And that just made so much sense. Like whatever you're feeding yourself before you go to bed is so important. And so I actually don't read magazines. I don't do TV. I rarely listen to the radio because I can't even believe the songs that are on nowadays. Thank God I'm not a teenager right now. I can't, like, I just feel um, a deep sadness for what a, a lot of our teens are bombarded with. And that also takes me into the porn industry, which has, I think, affected so many young men and young women to have these totally unintegrated, no idea what a true sexual connection is. And whatever, you do what what serves you. But I know in my life, seeing porn or seeing that those images and these like women who are just not in themselves at all, it was traumatizing to my psyche it was and I didn't ever mean to see these things it was just like being at a party or being somewhere and just happen to see it and it hijacks you and it takes over and it's nowadays you know on these cell phones it's just so pervasive so I feel like protecting children protecting our young from seeing these things or at least educating them and giving them a good solid foundation so when that they they do see these things it's not such a bombardment such a um 
you know, traumatic experience as it was for me. And I couldn't voice that then, but now I can. I can look back and see how it affected me and see how it affected my image of myself. And I truly believe that those things have to do with eating disorders also. Um, and in my family too, eating disorders have run in my family. I know my mom struggled with things. I know my grandmother was always on diet pills, always trying to lose weight, always suffering in one way or another with trying to meet a certain beauty standard. So I feel like doing that healing, uh, the ancestral healing and really like digging deeper into our parents' history and their parents' history can be helpful too when you're trying to heal something. Um, it's just another weight that we can let up our shoulders when we explore a little deeper what we came into the world with, you know, because I truly believe that whatever my mom was holding I hold some of that too, unless I choose to give it back. And I, every night before my daughter goes to bed, I say to her, as I rub her little belly, I say, I keep what belongs to me and I give back what belongs to others. And I'm saying that for her, but I'm also saying that for me so that I can release what no longer is serving me that maybe I've picked up from others, my parents, people out through the day, my husband, whatever. I want to keep what's mine. I want to own that and integrate that. And then I want to let go what isn't serving me. So that's a sweet little thing that I think is nice to do with the kiddos and nice for ourselves. So how I've done healing around those abandonments and those thoughts and things that I carried with me, this is where John Bradshaw's work really came in handy for me, which is the reparenting and the book Healing the Shame That Binds You was pivotal for me. The Presence Process, which I mentioned in last episode, uh, Byron Katie's work, and um, meditation. And meditation for me is different maybe than how a lot of it is portrayed. It's really just a watching of the thoughts and a watching of what is often re referred to as the ego, watching it come in, watching them come in, watching the self-talk and catching myself in those moments and deciding what's true and changing the thoughts or noticing the thought of just, oh, I see that. Is that really me? Is that really who I am or is that something that I've just been telling myself. And I don't sit in meditation for hours. Honestly, I have two kids, so sometimes five minutes is all I have. But using Lacey Phillips' work, I love her. I have been a supporter of her for a long time, and I love how she's made it really accessible um, to do reparenting. She has a wonderful reparenting course, and I think that is just like a wonderful beginning point. Finding something you can relate to that helps you do some getting back to when you were little, remembering things that maybe are uncomfortable so that you can release them. And that's been big for me is going back to the uncomfortable moments. And then, you know, there is just beauty in packaging up in a little box in your head, the things that are no longer serving you and just visually throwing them out to the universe. And I use that sometimes when there's things that I just can't seem to get over or 
um, self-talk things or memories or things that I just can't seem to get over. I like to just package them up and send them off. Thank you. And you're no longer serving me. Another one that has been really helpful for me is the cutting of the time meditation that John Bradshaw uses, which is seeing yourself with someone. And I use this a lot with my stepfather is like seeing me with that person and seeing the line that goes between me and them, like a heart string, that's what we call it for the kiddos and my family, and cutting that string when it's no longer serving you and letting it go. And I've visualized that so much and I've thanked the souls that have visited me, thanked my father's figures for everything that they've brought to my life and I've let go big time. And that was when a lot of my healing with my eating disorder started to begin. Uh, I guess it does link back to self-love too. And so if I'm walking around not thinking that I'm val valuable or worth loving because these men left me, how do you think that manifested in my life is, you know, continually trying to please men or be the perfect woman or um, perfect my body because that's what it means to be loved is to have a beautiful body or be beautiful and have someone value you. And, and that's what I learned from magazines or whatever, pop culture. And so it's been a lot of undoing for me, um, undoing what beauty is, undoing what connection is, what love is, undoing those ideas that I had or that were set in and just having a little pause there and truly getting deeply into learning to love myself, which is a total process. And I struggle with it still every day. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not at a point where I'm like, oh, self, I love you so much. I'm not there yet. But there's moments of deep understanding of myself and deep love of myself. And those moments are the most peaceful that I've ever felt in my life. And that's what I want to pass on to my daughter is a woman who's striving to get to those moments and live those moments more and more each day. So when I started to heal around 23, I got wildly into raw foods. And the short story of that is I got really sick. I went to a Bikram yoga class. I pushed myself. The teacher was militant. I wasn't strong enough in myself to say, I'm going out. I stayed in there and I did it. And anyways, I got really sick. So I'm grateful for him in a way. Um, and two weeks of like extreme sickness. And so I was kind of forced to do a juice cleanse because I couldn't eat. And I came out on the other side feeling better than I had in years. And feeling like I was energetic and vibrant and all these amazing things. And I was already really interested in raw foods, as you heard in my last episode. If you listened, I got my start really young at 17, seeing David Wolf and reading Matthew Kinney's books. And I was just like already had a foundations, but got really deeply into it. And that became my lifestyle for two years. I was 100% raw. I wouldn't even eat broccoli that was steamed. I was completely obsessed. And um, they often say that when you let go of one addiction, another is lurking and you have to be really aware of that. So I let go of my eating disorder in one form, but it manifested into another form. So 
I became so strict with eating raw that it became a disorder in itself. So nowadays I don't stick to any diet type. I really don't. I'm not a vegan. I'm not a pescatarian. I'm not yada, yada, nothing. Um, I prefer to eat really clean and organic. And um, I find that I attract to really healthy foods because I've done so much um, care with my body and I know it feels good nowadays. But I really, you know, I find that's the trouble with diets is it can become so restrictive where you lose joy, you lose, I lost a part of myself socially, I wouldn't be able to go out, I couldn't enjoy, I was judgmental of other people and their foods, and I just, a big part of me wasn't happy, so I might have looked good and felt good on one level, but I was also really unhappy on another, so fortunately, or I, I think fortunately, I got sick again, and I could barely walk up the stairs at our house. And that was kind of a wake up call for me when I was like, I can't even walk up the stairs. I'm so weak. And I was really skinny and I couldn't build muscle well. And I've always been really muscular and it's been easy for me to build muscle. It just didn't feel good. And I had to take a deep look at myself and I saw the neuroses and I had kind of been denying it, but I saw it. And so literally the next day, we were living in Encinitas at the time, I went out and I got some grass-fed bison. And my husband was so excited because he was never raw, though he did benefit from the way I was eating it. Definitely, that's a whole other episode on his former Navy SEAL career and healing him. Um, but I ate the grass-fed bison. And I grew up vegetarian, by the way. So it was it's definitely like not easy for me necessarily to eat animals because I do absolutely love them. And also I am grateful for them, um, because they've helped me heal. And the next, so literally, literally like the next day I felt so much better. So then I, that was like in 2012. Um, so I got really into Chris Kressler and I think I'm saying his name right. And, um, Dave Asprey back then and like listening to their podcasts and I was just so enthused and I was like, Oh great. Another diet to attach to. So you can kind of see the pattern there that I've been dealing with for a while, which is jumping from one way of doing things to another, but always with some kind of restriction there thinking that I was doing something healthy for myself. So it's been, let's see, about three years since I have been very, very, very aware of that. Um, very aware of my, you know, wanting to control, my wanting to have these boundaries and guidelines that keep me in something, um, kind of a narrow way of living. And I can say in the past three years, I've become more healthy than ever. And a lot of that has to do with my mental game. Um you know, I really, truly, and I'm sure there's some science somewhere to back this up, but I feel that what we feed our mind, how we talk to ourselves, how we feel on the inside is a direct reflection of what happens on the outside. And the more that I've owned my own stuff, the more that I have taken care of myself, talk, and really 
taken responsibility for my life, the happier I've become and the more embodied I've become and the more um, connected to my heart and my soul and my passions. And I just feel grounded and I feel beautiful. I feel my, my loveliness. I feel my light from my heart. And that's what to me, beauty really is. So it's been really, really too, this past year has been big for me with coming into myself even more and really finding, um, some more joy and love for my body and my soul. And that has just been such a blessing because 10 years ago, I would have never thought I could feel the way I feel about my body right now. And I've had two kids, so, you know, bodies change and that's been an interesting process too is allowing the body to change and not basing my love for myself off of what my body looks like because I've been so conditioned I've been so conditioned as so many of us have to have our bodies be what what we find our self-esteem in and that is just such a sad lie that we don't need to listen to (laughs) and I can tell you that when I've let go of not taking care of myself. I always want to take care of myself. But when I've let go of that thought that I need to have this perfect body or it needs to look like this in order for myself to love myself, oh, that's been the most freeing, most delightful experience is just having love for myself no matter what. And there's days when I wake up and I'm not feeling that great. And I have to really work to get into a place where I can be less self-critical. But There's also, I think, more days now than not where I wake up just feeling grateful for what my body's done for me, grateful for the babies that it's birthed, grateful for all that it does for me through the day and how strong it is. And I think this year, too, especially, I've really learned how to really tap into gratitude and feel it and not just say it because it's very easy to just in our mind say, oh, I'm so grateful for that, but to really stop and feel the gratitude and like touch into that heart space that for me has been where the magic is so I feel like I'm rambling a little bit but that's okay rambling's good sometimes so I hope that you're taking some pieces from this those of you who are really interested and I always welcome questions and I really want to keep having the conversation about eating disorders and self-concept and self-love. And I want to talk to so many women about it and men, but I feel like women really need support and we need to talk about it and we need to share our stories of shame and guilt and self-sabotage and we need to just know that we've all done it. And so many of us have been there in different ways and I love you. I'm here for you and I want to support you and hear your story and um, be a support in the way that I can. So if you have any questions or you want to reach out or just share your story with me, I'd love to hear it. And you can find me at summer at swim, S-W-H-M, in beauty.com. Thank you for listening. Can't wait to talk to you again soon.